What is up, folks? This is another podcast episode. I'm not going to call it an emulsion. I don't know yet if I want to call it a intermezzo episode yet either. This does have a video accompaniment. You can find that on YouTube, but this is part of my cookbook club series. I'm going to be publishing all of the audio from most of those as well because <laughs> copyright stuff, copyright life. I can't show all of the pages of the book, so a lot of what gets delivered for value for you folks ends up being the audio. And my thoughts, my notes are still uh, something that I write down, but I usually end up reading those for the camera and trying to not show as much as possible so that I don't get any copyright ticks on the video. So without further ado, here is a episode of The Cookbook Club. The first book is... Milk Bar by Christina Tosi. So let's just get into my notes, shall we? So I have a copy of the book right here in case I need to kind of check in on anything and just do some fact checking or look at a certain page or a picture or something like that. But you guys already know that I use Google Drive for everything, so I got my laptop here. I thought it would be easier just to dive right into my notes and how I'm organizing them. So right off the bat, I have the title of the book up top here, the name of the author, as well as some other people that are very, very you know influential to the making of the book. I think it's really interesting to look at who was involved in certain books, especially ones that are a little bit on the older side. This one is from 2011, so who knows? There was probably some big players back in the day in some of these books that were a little bit less well-known then, but now are bigger names now, and it's interesting to see those people uh, and what they're up to now. So there's also Gabriel Stabile and Mark Ebold. I hope I pronounced those correctly. So to start off, uh, Christina Tosi was at WD50 and started working at Momofuku Noodle Bar after coming over to develop the Mahasa plan, which is a really interesting story because she was a pastry chef and she found a way to make a HACCP plan for WD-50. David Chang needed one for the sake of the health department not putting him out of business, so Wiley Dufresne sent her over to Momofuku to get all that finished for them. She was 27 when Milk Bar opened. I wrote that down, I think, because I was very intrigued at the fact that she was that young when it was happening. Uh, kind of going back to the sense that I'm also pretty young. I'm 25, for those of you that don't know. And... It's very interesting to me to have someone that's so young, I guess, being participating in a project as big and with such a big cult following as Milk Bar was. She worked at Boulay and went to the French Culinary Institute. Uh, that was just knowledge for myself to know, you know, like, this, these are other places that she was at. She worked at Noodle Bar during the day and hustled her face off at night to bake things at her apartment in Brooklyn. That was a really, really interesting story that I found in this book. She would... Uh, basically go home and make things and then bring them into the office at uh, any of the Momofuku locations and have people taste them. Momofuku had no dessert program. They were buying in their desserts, claimed there was no space available to make it. This lack of resources led to recipes that were bulletproof, aka no ice cream machine and no service freezer, no heat source for baking anything to order or warming up things for service. So that lack of resources basically made her be resourceful in creating these desserts. Yeah, that's where a lot of the pies came from, that's where a lot of the crunch recipes come from, and we'll get into that in just a second. And here's another cool quote I found, quote, we stand in front of our fridge with the door open, just like you do at home, and we try to be intelligent about it. This is her talking about the creative process that they would go through at uh, Momofuku, or I guess Noodle Bar, or Sambar, or Co even, to try to find desserts to make it on the menu. Staff Meal is her Christina Tosi's Zen moment, and that became recipe grounds, recipe testing grounds for Milk Bar. So she would make 
things for the staff, if they responded well to it, she knew that if a cook liked basically what she was eating, then a guest or a diner would probably enjoy it as well. Uh, Marion Marr was an extern from French Culinary Institute that came on and played a big role. I don't know what Marion Marr is doing now, but she speaks very highly of her in this book, so for some reason I wanted to write it down, and maybe it'll come in handy later. Uh, the milk bar space used to be a laundromat. I thought that was interesting. I think it kind of carries through in some of the aesthetic of the the location itself. It has the neon here. Um, it's a pretty small location. The one that I went to in New York was at least was. Uh, a year and a half between location one and two. Just something to note. Um, not everything has to move super, super fast. You don't have to franchise everything right away. Quote, our recipes exist and appeal to appeal and relate to everyone. I thought that was an interesting quote. <laughs> she does a quote here. Uh, it, she defines someone called a hard body, and that's someone who goes above and beyond, never complains, approaches each recipe and task with a sense of humor. And I thought that was really interesting that she... It's just kitchen jargon, things that we say to each other when we're in the kitchen. So she talks about it a lot in some of these recipes where you have to be a hard body to execute this recipe, or only a hard body knows what it's like to blank. Uh, don't start until you're organized. Prime. She goes over that in her first few sections of talking about how to use the book, basically, how to use the recipes. And now we're actually getting into the recipe section of the book. This all, These are all my notes just from the first section of reading about the history of the space, uh, her history, and basically how she goes about writing or coming at problems, like creative problem solving. So yeah, there's 10 mother recipes, nine sweet and one bread dough, and we're gonna get into most of those in a second. I didn't write all of them down because I didn't see all of them as valuable, but I wrote a lot of them down because I think they're really, really good. Momofuku and Milk Bar have always been in your face about in your face flavor, which I thought was interesting. Uh, taking a hint from some people who like being a little bit more subtle, a little bit laid back. I feel like that's where David Chang's influence definitely uh, lends itself to the project. They use uh, Plugra butter because it has 82% butter fat. For anyone that doesn't know anything about butter fat, you should do some research because the difference between making something with an 81% fat butter and like an 83% fat butter are drastically different and you'll get different flavors and textures and outcomes from just a 2% change in fat. Uh, because they use so much flour, their AP flour is King Arthur bread flour and they love it because of the high protein content. So those two combinations together, the super high fat butter and apparently King Arthur bread flour play really well together in all the recipes so that they're able to have a lot of butter in all the recipes, but the flour can basically stand up to all of that butter fat. <laughs> Another really interesting thing that she mentions uh, is using Amazon to order things. So for cake flour, they use Pura Snow. Um, and a lot of the products that she talks about, you can get off of Amazon. And she mentions talking about using Amazon to order her things all the way back in 2013. I thought that was crazy. Bazzini brand nuts are supposed to be good. I wrote that down just for you know, if I'm ever out on the East Coast and I need some nuts, that's uh, where I'll, I will consult. Boiling a pastry brush when it gets raggedy in a pot of water for 10 minutes brings it back to life. Apparently. <laughs> I thought this quote was funny. Quote, the knife of a pastry chef is notoriously dull. True, true. Apparently they calibrate their scales once a week with a block of butter to make sure it reads 453 grams. I thought that was interesting. Uh, not, uh, tell me the last time you calibrated your scale. Saran wrap is a flimsy joke. You're not wrong. You always got to go with the industrial, uh, professional style uh, saran wrap. I have one literally here in my apartment for that reason. Quote, not a single pie recipe in this book involves a rolling pin. I think that's pretty cool. I also 
Christina Tosi, agree with you. For everyone that's seen any Dish of the Day episode where I use a rolling pin, you can see where I wrote this down. Uh, here is a really interesting piece that I wrote down. Tempering eggs is a waste of time. If you incorporate enough of the other ingredients in a recipe into the eggs, blend it immediately into a homogenous mix, and then heat the mixture all together, you're still changing the egg's temperature gently but you're not dirtying additional kitchen equipment while trying to pour hot liquid from a burner into a bowl again on your counter and then back. This is one of those things that I loved reading in culinary school because it would debunk all of the things that all of my teachers were teaching me that were, I hate to say counterintuitive, but they were just things that they would do and their reason for saying it is because it's either the proper way to do it or the way that it's always been done. And whenever you hear that, you always should be able to question exactly what's happening and why things are being done that the way that they're being done. Definitely the next time I make something that requires tempering of eggs, I'm gonna try to omit that step. Sifting, also a waste of time. Uh, a little side note fact for you. Sifting in the olden days used to be a way of making sure that your flour wouldn't have any like rat poop or bugs or dead animal bodies in it because things would crawl into the flour sacks and just live there and either you know live there and maybe die there so it was very important to sift the flour so you made sure that your flour was 100 percent clean sifting is a waste of time noted quote a uh, 10 minute creaming process is why the milk bar cookies are so good i thought that was super interesting i've never creamed anything for 10 minutes but apparently if you can manage to take any of the recipes in the book and do butter and sugar and glucose for two to three minutes and then you add eggs one by one until incorporated and then beat for seven to eight minutes, that will make sure that all of your cookies are the perfect texture. Apparently brown butter in the microwave is easiest and safest. Uh, there's something about me that still likes making it on the stovetop because I think it's really satisfying, but that's a good that's good to know. Uh, she does a spiel on quenelles in this book that's super, super funny. Quote, almost every savory and pastry cook learns how to quenelle at that first real restaurant job. Knee deep in the middle of dinner service with a sous chef breathing down the breathing down your back, taking lopsided excuses for a quenelle and throwing them into the trash and screaming at you to get your ass in gear. Basically, teach yourself, but I'll try to teach you here. And she goes into a little spiel about how to quenelle. But I've totally been there, so I totally empathize with her on this story. I thought it was really funny. In all the milk bar recipes for ice cream, there's no eggs because they don't want it to taste eggy unless it needs to. So for example, the brownie ice cream. I noted that down specifically because um, brownies have eggs in them and you want it to have that certain quality to it. So they include it. Some of the other notes that I'm taking are just a uh, fun ideas that may or may not make their way into menus later. I plan on maybe being able to go back to all these documents and just taking a quick browse through them and getting inspiration. So one of the things that I wrote down is buttered toast ice cream. Maybe it works for something. Uh, here I started taking photos of recipes. So you can go ahead and pause the video and write down any of these if you want. Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, this is something that she made. It's just cinnamon toast. So what she did was take Sandwich bread, brown butter, uh, sugar, kosher salt, and cinnamon. Um, again, something I may or may not use eventually. It was something that I certainly grew up with. There's a cereal in the U.S. called Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and it's just sugar-coated deliciousness that all of us kids would just eat growing up because it was bad for us. Uh, for any of you who have been to Milk Bar, they are famous for something they make called cereal milk. And what they do is toast, apparently toasting the cornflakes before making cereal milk deepens the flavor of the milk. Cornflakes is also apparently one word. I, I learned that in the book. I always, you can literally see here, I wrote, 
two, I wrote it as two words here. Thought that was funny. All right, uh, next recipe is cereal milk ice cream. Pretty straightforward. I just wanted to take a, a photo of it just so that I would have it. Same with the cereal milk. It's a classic recipe. You can probably use it with a bunch of different stuff. You could probably use toasted rice or toasted barley and make something very, very similar. So it's always nice to have these basic recipes that are kind of classics in your repertoire. Apparently cereal milk makes dope white Russians with Kahlua and vodka. I wrote it down. Uh, I wanna try and make corn cookies. Um, that was a recipe I think I wrote down. Yep, I wrote it down just here. So the recipe is just there. I don't know why it's cut off again. I will try to check the formatting on my, uh, my Google Drive here. Surface area is t heavily taken into consideration. Lots of crushed cereals. So whenever she makes cereal milk or cookies or anything like that that require cereal, she finds that she gets more flavor out of certain things when she crushes them so you can get more surface area on individual pieces. So I wrote it down. Milk powder is the dark horse that holds a lot of the recipes together. Definitely uh, worth reading a little bit about that in this book. Incorporating milk powder into your recipes makes things a little bit chewier, makes the texture a little bit unique. It's something that not a lot of people use, so it's definitely a way to make your pastry stand apart from everyone else's. Malt powder is added to the pretzel crunch. I, this is my notes. Note, I was noticing a theme of adding specific desired flavors to ramp up existing ones. So for example, in the cereal milk or one of the recipes that had corn flakes in it, she would add freeze dried corn to it. So that would boost the flavor of the corn. And then this is another example, adding the malt to the pretzel. Also super interesting, I wrote it down just so that I would have it. The photo for the cornflake chocolate chip marshmallow cookies made me drool. And that's on page 56. So let's take a look at that. Look at that. Oh, it's so good. I want one of these so bad. And the chocolate looks all melty. I love like chewy, stringy marshmallow. So good. Uh, so I, I wrote that recipe down as well. Took a photo of that. So that's here. There's also some interesting sets that she would play with. And some of these she mentioned went on the menu at Momofugu Co. So saltine, Concord grape, peanut butter nougat. So it's basically a peanut butter jelly sandwich with saltines though. Here's another inter interesting recipe I found, which was grapefruit pie. So it was Ritz crust, grapefruit, passion curd, sweetened condensed grapefruit. So I took a photo of both of these two recipes. The grapefruit passion curd I thought was really interesting because it has kind of like that bitter and acidic element at the same time. And also it's probably just a really easy recipe to make lemon curd or citrus curd that you have. And who doesn't like lemon curd? Quote, find a new use for the same products you use daily. You just have to look at them sideways and wonder what if. I thought that was really interesting. Milk crumb, very, very important recipe. Classic, I guess, using the milk powder, flour, cornstarch, and then white chocolate. This is just a really interesting, maybe texture add to your next dessert. The real flavor in Funfetti cake is clear vanilla extract and, rain and rainbow sprinkles. So if you ever had that growing up, which I certainly did, now you know exactly why it, what makes it taste the way that it tastes. So maybe you can use this as inspiration for a dessert of your own. Piggybacking off of the milk crumb recipe, I also wrote down the chocolate crumb recipe, which is very, very similar. It just substitutes out some of the ingredients because the cocoa powder changes up the makeup of the, the crumb. Tosi loves salted caramel because balance is what I identify with first and foremost. I thought that was really interesting. There's always an element of saltiness to a lot of her dishes. There's clearly a lot of plays on texture as well. She has a uh, soft and temperature and crunchy and crispy all going on at the same time in a lot of her desserts. So I thought that was a very, very interesting way to kind of set yourself up that if you try to look at a dish from balance first, then all the other pieces fall into place. If you have a really good sense of what you like 
in balance. <laughs> Going back to all the pies not needing a rolling pin, I wrote down the graham crust recipe because that just sounds like the easiest way to make a pie ever for me. It's pretty simple, but again, she incorporates the milk powder, so I'd be really interested to see on what the crust tastes like and feels like texture-wise when you use milk powder. Fudge sauce, I grew up loving fudge sauce, so it's so great that she had a recipe in here for that. She apparently says it took a lot of time. It was a labor of love and adds great chocolate flavor to whatever you're making. So after publishing this recipe in the book, you will also see it in other recipes that include chocolate because she just thinks that it ramps up that chocolate flavor. They use buttermilk in their chocolate cake recipe. I thought that was really interesting. Again, maybe going back to that note on balance, the buttermilk adding that acidic element instead of just richness coming from like cream, for example. The liquid cheesecake recipe is cool. And for some, for whatever reason, I took a photo of that recipe. So it's cream cheese, sugar, cornstarch, salt, milk, and, and, and an egg. And I just think it's an interesting play on something that I definitely grew up with eating. And she just makes it into a liquid form. Uh, I wrote this down. A huge connection I have with her is the idea of using real wholesome ingredients as a professional after growing up on quote, skim milk and margarine. I have such a larger appreciation for it that I can never want to go back to using things that aren't focused on flavor and make people happy. So this was something that I really empathized with her with because I as well grew up drinking, my, in my house growing up, it was 2% milk and margarine, or I can't believe it's not butter. I never grew up having really nice cream or really nice butter. Now that I've used all of it, I have and kind of saw the value in, oh my God, this tastes so good, or oh my God, the texture of this is so amazing. It was really, really interesting for me that she is using it all the really, really high quality stuff in all of her desserts. She's a fan of pushing recipes to the edge. The apple layer cake recipe has a warning about the f amount of fat in it and if that it's not emulsified properly, it might leak into the bottom of your oven. Ugh, it's the same with the liquid cheesecake. It's all about flavor and execution with her, which I love. Cream cheese skin is a good idea. Quote, this recipe is simple yet magical. It will make you look like you paid $30,000 for a fancy culinary education when you dip the guava sorbet in it. It must be right before you're gonna use it or it will set hard in your fridge. So basically what it is is cream cheese and milk, heavy cream, glucose, and salt, uh, and then gelatin added to it. So it's kind of like this uh, creamy, cream cheese flavored stuff and you can dip uh, whatever you want in it, like whether it's an ice cream or a you know piece of fruit or something like that and then it will harden around it or basically just the gelatin will set. She does this really cool thing where she cleverly avoids tempering chocolate by mixing dark chocolate, white chocolate, and oil to make a glaze that shiny, tastes like chocolate, and cuts super clean. So the ratio for that is 55% chocolate, 45 grams of that. 45 grams of white chocolate, and then 20 grams of grapeseed oil. And for everyone who hasn't ever tempered chocolate before, it's all about making sure your fat is at the right temperature and everything crystallizes properly. And that's why the temperatures need to be so right. Think about like butter holding as butter, and then when it hits a certain temperature, it starts to melt. Chocolate does the same thing. So if you can get it just right, it will look nice and shiny and perfect. And that's what you need to do when tempering chocolate, but she just adds more oil and then a different type of chocolate. So to me, that was super interesting. She does a recipe with nougat, uh, foie nougat, I believe, I'm not sure, but I wrote down foie nougat someday. I really like thinking about recipes with foie gras, uh, especially the ones on the sweeter side, in the same way that you think about a peanut butter and jelly, because that was one of the best dishes that I had ever had. 
uh, with foie gras. Uh, she does a really cool presentation of candy clusters where she takes foietine, white chocolate, hazelnut paste, mixes them together, and makes candy clusters on them. I thought that was interesting. She does another cool crunch where she does a Thai tea crunch, which if any of you follow me on Instagram, whenever I go to a Thai restaurant, I love Thai teas. Black tea leaves, and then all these other ingredients combines them together and it apparently makes a really delicious uh, crunch. I, I, see, I wrote it. Christina Tosi loves Thai tea as much as I do. Pumpkin ganache, I thought that was really awesome um, because not only does this work for pumpkin, but she changes it to work with beet as well as celery root or any other root vegetable. I thought that was really, really fascinating. Beet and lime ganache, I wrote that down just as kind of like a flavor combo. I'm gonna definitely use this recipe and then substitute in different flavors, just like I said. Here's another one that she uses for almost everything, all of her like buns and breads and bagels and all this stuff. She uses something called a mother dough. So hopefully we've gone through as many recipes as I thought were valuable. And now the mother dough is something where you don't need to stress about feeding a starter all the time. You don't have to stress about long proof times. This is a dough that will be flexible enough to make anything from, like I said, bagels to those steamed buns to loaves of baguette if you want. They of course won't be perfect because you don't have specific individual doughs, but I think this is a good recipe to maybe memorize that if you get in a pinch and you need to make some bread fast, this is probably a good recipe to have in your book. And that it, that that's it. That's all I had for the uh, Momofuku Milk Bar book as far as my notes on it. I got all the way to the end and loved it. I loved the read. It was really, really interesting. Her stories were really good. Her perspective was good. I definitely learned a lot, got a lot of really valuable notes that I will be incorporating into some of my desserts going forward. Also, maybe it's a good idea for me to announce the next two books that are gonna be coming up in the club. The first being this one. Livre Blanc by uh, Anne-Sophie Pic. So she has a three Michelin star restaurant in France. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, just picking it up. There's some really, really cool looking food in this book. As you can see, it's really, really great. There's some really good recipes in here as well. So I'm super excited to get into this. I haven't read this book yet, cover to cover. So I'm excited to get into it and, and also see what my notes are on it. And then after that, this is going to be the next book. So Elements of Dessert. So this is by Francisco Megoya. He was at the Culinary Institute of America when I was a student there. And now he is out here just down the road in Seattle as the head chef of modernist cuisine. I'll see you next week. My name's Justin Kana. Have a good one.